The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am, huh, what, what should I theme? I am your host, 600 Watt Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host. Uh, 100 Watt 3090 equivalent, apparently, Dan. <laughs> oh, are you talking about the uh, Apple M1 Ultra? Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. We'll discuss that later. <laughs> Yeah, and I realized as I set that theme that I didn't really give you an option. Like, it's like, I didn't say 600 watt, 4090. I should have specified 4090. Otherwise, the theme is just we say random wattage amounts. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, I think I'm a 1000 watt type of guy right now. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that too, what that would mean if there were 1000 watt graphics cards you could buy. Because I think there are very... Very real physical limitations on how much energy a graphics card can work within a household that people are starting to completely miss. But um, well, before we get into that, let me just start with a reader mail here. Tragaholic writes in, just like he can if you support us on Patreon. He says, hi, Tom. In the latest Broken Silicon, you made a Jensen impression and claimed it was pretty good. Well, I am inclined to agree it was pretty good. At no point did you say it just works. So it was not a proper impression, at least not of Jensen Wang, in my opinion. Your occasional Tim Apple impression was missing as well. Yeah, I've, I, I, not to toot my own horn, but I'm pretty excited about my Tim Apple impression. <laughs> I just came out of nowhere one day when I was watching him, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy just—he definitely talks in a specific way. Oh yeah, well. That that's how CEOs that everyone remembers get their brand. I think they they have like some weird speech pattern that everyone picks up on. Yeah, yeah, one that's always talking about Tim Lasso in the morning show on a Retina display. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's the impression I feel like doing today. I did see some other comments that, in addition to Tim Apple, which I, it's funny how often me and you just call him Tim Apple because of that one time. Trump called him Tim Apple accidentally, well, but then he—that's his name. But then he actually changed his, I think, Twitter name to Tim Apple for a while because of how funny he thought it was. <laughs> so I mean, kudos to that. But also, people saying we're not doing enough of our Red Dead Redemption voices anymore. But I, I don't know what to say. That there was an older era, and uh, like a how old? It's it's like a three-year-old game now at this point, right? Yeah, that's crazy to think about. I remember. That just felt completely brown, groundbreaking, and yeah, I think that was late 2019, right? Maybe. <laughs> Let me see. It might even be earlier than that. It's 2018. 2018? Oh, late huh? 2018. <sighs> We're getting old. Well, apparently not that old, though, because we didn't have any corrections and omissions submitted today, which surprised me, as I know for a fact we got a few things wrong in the last news episode. 
uh, and I expected at least some nitpicking for how we talked about the NVIDIA hack and the Elden Ring engine. Like, I guess I, I saw a lot of people writing in about Elden Ring that it's not, the physics aren't tied to frame rate anymore, that, the, you know, the cause of this is some kind of cache compiler. Um, and I did want to at least correct ourselves there because it seems like the Steam Deck version of Elden Ring has fixed the stuttering issue for the PC version. Yeah, which, I mean, that's good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't looked close enough into the um, performance on PC. I mean, from my experience, Elden Ring performs well enough on PS5. You know, there are some stuttering, not stuttering, mm -hmm. some frame rate dips that would be nice if they ameliorated it even if that just means being less aggressive with their like with like dynamic resolution targets or something which i think people said they don't have dynamic resolution they they do some other way of either adjusting it or it is a set resolution the mm -hmm. whole time um but yeah i i would agree I, i'd say that just in general obviously they need to fix the pc version the reason it's fixed on the steam deck is they did it through something with proton before it hit the windows like drivers or something um, I didn't look into it too much, but I did th think that was funny. And, and and with regards to performance on the other platforms, I think it's obvious that it can be ameliorated, that they were just a little too aggressive with resolution on most consoles because my understanding is the PS4 version runs pretty locked at 30 frames. Obviously, the Xbox One version has issues in the open areas, but that console was underpowered for 2013. Mm -hmm. It's honestly a miracle it runs the game at all, in my opinion. Um, and the Xbox Series S version supposedly runs it fine, I think, at 1440p. And so it's like like a locked or something. So it's like, well, then that would suggest just bump down the resolution on Xbox Series X and PS5 by, I don't know, I think the PS5 version runs 10 20% higher frame rate. So I don't know. Like, honestly, if they bumped down the resolution, probably 10%, 15% on PS5 and 20% on Xbox Series X, it would probably still be more than adequately sharp. The game doesn't yeah. look blurry at all on the console. And I'm not sure why they did that. I, I don't know, though. I guess it's it, it's just they don't prioritize a complete locked 60 as much as some other devs do. Yeah, which uh, the, the norm is to at least target locked 60 <laughs> at, at at least one of your settings, which is, you know, a bit odd that they don't have that. Yeah, I and I mean, who knows, though? Maybe there's some other stuff they're working on, too, and the reason they went with that resolution is there are some areas where it is just locked 60, so maybe there are just specific things they're doing in some areas, but a lot of them that they think they can fix because they're saying they're going to roll out performance fixes for all platforms eventually. So hmm. I don't know. I would hope so. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, I mean, me and you can't stop playing that game. It's excellent, so I can't recommend it enough to people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, performance issues or not, it's not like it runs... 20 frames or on any version i've seen and at least most pc gamers i've seen despite having the stuttering issue on some systems it's interesting i have seen some people say that it is fixed by just like running it at a lower resolution like 1440p instead of 4k that it makes up for the stutter even if you shouldn't have to if you're really not stressing your system at all to get there but yeah uh, i guess i'll just throw that out there too and i did want to correct us a little bit on that even if our fans wouldn't and i guess you could say that Story number one is almost a correction of sorts as well. Story number one, NVIDIA hack. Two weeks later, on the last news episode, we briefly covered NVIDIA's hack of information by a group known as LAPSUS dollar sign. 
Well, the story was breaking. We said it seemed bad that NVIDIA was clearly downplaying the severity of the issues due to email still being down, so it clearly was a big issue. And at the time, it already being clear that NVIDIA had kind of lied about counter-hacking the hackers. But at the same time, two weeks ago, we were hesitant to blindly follow the bold claims made by the hackers. Although two weeks have passed, it seems legitimately very bad. In summary, the DLSS source code has been leaked, and although this won't legally be copyable by AMD and Intel, it does give NVIDIA's competitors a peek under the hood, and dishonest entities around the world will certainly try to do things with it against NVIDIA's will. Furthermore, LHR is also supposedly fully bypassed, and its crack is up for sale online. And of course, details about Lovelace, Hopper, even Blackwell in Switch 2 are out. And worse of all, though, is the growing evidence that incredibly dangerous malware could be on the way that makes use of knowledge now in the open about NVIDIA's code signing certificates. It's honestly likely new malware will come with new vectors of stealing information from devices that can't contain NVIDIA hardware. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, we, we broke this story, broke this story. We didn't break this story. We talked <laughs> yeah, about the yeah. story. Well, it was breaking two weeks ago with us being a little cautious to double down on the severity either way. But I think we made it clear this wasn't nothing. This seemed bad. Now we know it's bad, Dan. I mean, what is I don't know if you've been following it. It seems like a new thing comes out every day regarding this hack. I mean, I think the biggest thing that needs to be brought up, which like this is what could uh, I think could affect customers the most is the last thing you highlighted where NVIDIA's code signing has been <laughs> uh signing of certificates has been leaked. So one of the bad, bad outcomes that we highlighted when we talked is there's always the possibility that this could be used to infiltrate AMD and put make uh, malware look like legitimate NVIDIA code. And that's not good. Uh, and from the stories I, I read, um, Windows and NVIDIA are going to be able to isolate it probably relatively easily, but uh, it might make some old NVIDIA drivers not work anymore, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not even... It's just really bad also that this comes with this level of severity right after they just leaked basically all upcoming games for the next five years. It, there's something going on over there, I'm, or at least... And it could just be two giant mistakes or a little bit of, you know you know, bad luck with something being open to being hacked at the same time. Someone made a ridiculously clumsy mistake with the GeForce leak of games, but it does point to NVIDIA. Like, like what's going on? If you're a customer of NVIDIA, you're making a lot of angry phone calls and questioning how much information you should share with them anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, once again, like it, also, you know, employees at NVIDIA or maybe employees of, NVIDIA associates or contractors also seems to have been uh, contained in that leak. And while that doesn't obviously affect us, that's not <laughs> the ability to essentially dox every NVIDIA employee and possibly like even contract workers, who knows, is not good. <laughs> and yeah, I I forgot to mention that in this write-up, but I did talk about it in a recent video that, like that, that is the other worst thing, um, and and it will affect product launches. Like, imagine work trying to work on a graphics card. Well, your identity's stolen, and like the amount of people that may have just had their identity stolen in one area, all working on the same thing. 
I, I, I don't know how much there is to add to it, except that hopefully they don't have what's required to steal anyone's identity. And I don't know. It just, I don't, I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> it just calls into question how some things are managed in, and, and I think it just calls into question. I think me and you have kind of talked about this. I don't know if on any podcast, but offline, like just, we need to start rethinking how much of our own information is ever needed for anything ever anywhere because everything keeps getting hacked (laughs) yeah and stuff like this i would say makes an idea of something like we've discussed in the past to like maybe avoid or navigate around uh bot large bot purchases as actually having to tie uh like driver downloads to your identity that with stuff Mm, like this happening would make me a lot uh less comfortable with doing that because oh does that mean that by being a customer of nvidia by buying one of their graphics cards does that make me now a potential target of hacking i mean always to some extent but sure anytime you give any website your information you should probably be thinking about that yeah and this isn't just nvidia this is any website any company that you can have an account with but you know that makes the idea of tying your actual identity to anything online uh, that NVIDIA puts out uh, less comfortable. So that doesn't might not be a viable option if there isn't trust in their uh, security. That's true. Yeah, we did talk about that, like things that can be done to prevent bots and like how Best Buy requires you to verify a lot of things just to get in their total tech program and especially to cancel it, apparently. That why can't NVIDIA, if they make you line in, uh, sign in to their GeForce drivers to use a lot of the software, why can't they tie that to something that makes it so you try to avoid scalpers buying graphics cards? Like, oh, you already own a 2080, so yeah, here's a direct way for you to you know buy this through the GeForce drivers so that we can verify at least someone's using our card and has been for years. This isn't a scalper. I don't know why I'd want to give them any of my information anymore to do that. So yeah. that's not even really an option, yeah. There's something going on with their security. And, you know, like you said, maybe it it could just be two unfortunate things happening somewhat close to each other. But if some third thing happens, uh, that's a trend, (laughs) you know, for sure. And again, I guess what I would kind of close out on on this story, like just something I want to make clear again is, guys, I think there's some things AMD might learn a little bit about in the future. But honestly, things like Blackwell, like knowing Blackwell exists. I think that was a rumor name anyways somewhere. I, I don't think that really does anything to benefit AMD. I mean, I know for a fact that in AMD knew pretty much everything they needed to know about Lovelace or most of what they needed to know year ago. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think people, you know, especially when they look for leaks from tech tubers and stuff like people like me, they're like, oh, what exact amount of bandwidth? How many CUDA cores? Like, what AMD cares about is when is it launching? How much do we think it's going to cost to make and what's the overall performance and is there any special features? That's it. They don't actually even care about the specs. Like they were calling Lovelace Hopper internally over a year ago just because they didn't care. There's like placeholder name Hopper, whatever they call it. And they had performance numbers that have now been confirmed a year later. So AMD already knew what they needed to know. Like the whole specs thing. Most of it isn't really going to affect NVIDIA at all. Trust us. AMD has analysts and people digging on this they're getting paid to do it. They knew it really is the malware, the lack, the breaking of drivers thing. That is a much bigger issue. 
Story number two, alleged Nintendo Switch 2 specs leak out, powered by NVIDIA Ampere GPU are better with ray tracing and DLSS 2.2 support. So I, I kind of a, a, have an amalgamation here of like stuff from uh, uh, an article from Inverse and an article from Tech Advisor. Um, here's the write-up. Our story begins on February 26th when reports suggested the Switch chipset makers at NVIDIA have been compromised by a major cyber attack. The files most relevant to Nintendo were showcased by Tech Power Up, and they include data strings tied to NVIDIA's deep learning super sampling AI technology designed to reconstruct modest resolution assets into stunning 4K experiences. I didn't write it that way, they did. While most of the data appeared innocuous, Nintendo insiders like NW Player 123 noticed DLSS setups for devices referred to as, in quotes, NVN and, in quotes, NVN2. NVN2 device in particular is said to be based on NVIDIA's ray tracing Ampere class, also being capable of supporting DLSS 2.2, because apparently before then, uh, the switch in f leaked files has been NVN. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, the code referenced T234. The code for NVIDIA's Orin system on a chip in T239 purported to be a custom version of that chip previously rumored to be in the works for the Switch Pro. Again, not the Switch Pro, Bloomberg. Switch 2. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> but I just can't believe how many people were like, oh, the Switch Pro got canceled. No, it, it was always the Switch 2. They're not bringing out an Ampere Pro. It's like 10 times stronger. This is interesting. Uh, this directly lines up with some things that were being leaked with Copite, although there are some differences. I believe some codename thing is a little different, if I remember right. And I think Copite wasn't sure if this used Lovelace or some version of an Ampere-Lovelace hybrid. It seems to, in these files, directly suggest Ampere. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, it le uh, lines up with, like... <laughs> I think I outlined, if I remember correctly, like three different scenarios in my Lovely Super Switch, as I called it, leak last year, where I said something's going on, there's too much smoke, there has to be a fire here, the next Switch is coming clearly by the end of 2022 or early 2023, somewhere around there. I guess they could come out late 2023, you never know how long Nintendo will wait, but I, I think that all evidence suggested that, including the stockpiles they had remaining of the Switch to sell, um, and that either it was based on Orin which seemed to have Ampere, although at the time it was weird that NVIDIA wouldn't call it Ampere in any other marketing. Now I found links where they do. Didn't they it call it Ampere. like Ampere Next or something like that? Or am I no, th there was charts that said that. They just said what they would say about Orin on most of their marketing was like powered by, I'm trying to remember correctly, I believe it was like third gen tensor cores. And it's okay. like third gen Volta, Turing, Ampere. <laughs> But then there were also rumors at the time about how Lovelace is very similar to Ampere, and I believe it is. So it's like, well, wait a second. Maybe Lovelace has third-gen tensor cores, but new RT cores. It was something like that. And so it was not It was just weird. I thought that they weren't like Orin powered by Ampere. Why they, why they say powered by third-gen tensor cores and like they're not specific about that's like the note. Or, like, that's weird. But now they seem to be more specific about it. Um, and I said it either has to be based on Orin or most likely some version of Orin that has Lovelace features or something. And this seems to line up with that. The one thing I do want to say, and I've seen a couple people point this out, is that while it's certainly very possible, and that was one of my scenarios, that the Switch 2 uses literally a version of Orin that I believe it's a custom version, and that I was told dev kits should land around early 2022. Remember the dev kits for the PS5 were overclocked 5700 XTs because they didn't have RDNA 2 yet for dev kits. Yeah, because so, they need to be developing for an 
approximation of what the thing is going to be at the end. So I think people really, really need to consider that what's in the drivers right now is to support a gaming dev kit version of Orin for developers with other rumors suggesting they've received them. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we don't know. It, it might use Ampere. Maybe you'll use an Ampere 1.5 with some things from Lovelace. It depends when it comes out, I would say. I'd say reserving it on 8 nanometer is probably a good idea for volume reasons. But at the same time, I mean, we don't know what version of Orin it would even be. I think top Orin's like 2048 CUDA core. So it'd be like, we're talking, we're looking at like 3050, uh, yeah, laptop 3050 performance there. But I doubt they use the full die. My guess would be 1024 CUDA core. It's like half of it or something. I don't know. But who knows? Maybe it could be more. Maybe it could be on some other node. Like people need to remember that the PS4 Slim was, I believe, made on TSMC 16 nanometer. It's based on Polar, you know, it's based on a uh, an entirely 28 different 28 nanometer G node and and the AMD was using Polaris on Global Foundries at the time. So I believe it was yep, it yeah, so the PS4 Pro is made on TSMC as well. Just wanted to double check that. Um and even though Polaris was made on Global Foundry. So we don't know if this could be some version of Orin made on TSMC 7 nanometer or who know, six nanometer if it's a version of lovelace or ampere on six nanometer we don't know what cores they'll go with but whatever it is is going to be way 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 stronger than the switch and this lines up that i've leaked what others have leaked that's probably coming out 2023 end of 2022 well i i i guess i would probably bet late i mean not late i, I would bet 2023 at this point because you think there would be more on it at this point than uh you know, hacked code from NVIDIA. I would expect a tsunami of leaks in about a month if it's coming out this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which there are some, but... And, you know, I, I, I think this more or less conf just confirms suspicions we've already had in the past about approximately what it is. I mean, it would be cool to see it closer to the full 2048 to so they actually have something that's a little substantial as a <laughs> as a gaming device rather than something mm -hmm. that, that at the end of the day is really like an entire generation behind what they're competing with almost the the, the switch is a, a last gen consoles power <laughs> and i know yeah. it, it was made five years ago but i it would be nice to see them take more of a full step than the half steps nintendo's taken for the past what since the n64 well since the gamecube i guess i think plus minus 30 percent the series s is what they'd probably want to target and the series s is you know a little weaker than a 6500 xt and again for the people that want to argue with me really it has 20 compute units at like 1.5 gigahertz yeah. 6500 xt is at 2.6 2.8 gigahertz with 16 it's it's a 6500 xt at best guys <laughs> um so that's all, you know, being a little better than that, you know, which would put it, especially if they optimize for it, um, you could get around some of the limitations of something that weak. You can get to something that's probably around the performance of a 2060, but I would hope it's at least within 30% of that. Because if it is, you add DLSS on top of it and like devs really have to use it and optimize for it. Yeah, I think this could be something that on the go easily runs 1080p 60 
uh, in a handheld and then easily uh, can get to something that looks decent on a 4K screen when you dock it. But I just don't know. I think even like 1,024 CUDA cores uh, would probably be with DLSS, yeah, like a decently weaker. I just hope they wouldn't go anything below that. I, I'd hope it's more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and then in terms of the processor, I mean, I think they need the full like ARM 12 core or something, or, but who mm -hmm. knows? They might go with eight. Knowing Nintendo, they probably would, but we'll who see. Knows? I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, Falto writes in, he says, hello, Tom and Dan. So it seems the switch successor is going to use an Ampere based APU instead of Lovelace as per the NVIDIA hack leaks. Uh, yeah. If you think the next gen consoles right now have RDNA one, but they don't, they just, that's what the drivers said, though, at the time. Uh, this this gives some concern for a few reasons. First one being Ampere isn't as efficient as we had hoped it was, except for GA104. Second reason being, if it's Ampere, it would probably be on Samsung's 8 nanometer node. Yeah, but with everyone moving to TSMC, I mean, I, I don't know that that's bad for Nintendo. Uh, but yeah. he says, which, again, isn't as efficient as TSMC. Mm, is it, though? Like you said, GA104 seems as efficient as RDNA2. Like it's yeah. bigger than the 6700 XT, but it's, you know, it's also a little stronger. So I, I don't know that Samsung's is so much, it, it isn't as efficient as TSMC Falto, but it is pretty close if you don't push it super hard. I mean, and this is going to be clocked lower. It's meant more for mobile chips than giant chips, and this will be a mobile chip. Yeah. And like you said, some of those uh, weaker dies from ampere are pretty power efficient if i'm remembering correctly like it's just when you're getting it's when you're getting really high up that they start to get kind of crazy like with the 3090 <laughs> yeah well they're they're not as good as rdna2 they're not it's weird G, only ga104 seems to be that efficient but well comparatively efficient i should say to rdna2 but um, yeah, they're not god-awful like the top ones, no. Mm -hmm. Because lastly, we must take this release time into account. Sure, if this thing came out today, it would make some sense as Lovelace isn't released yet. But it's likely in 2023, which again, yeah, I mean, the, the original Switch launched March of 2017. So I think beginning of 2023 is very likely. Uh, and that's when Lovelace will be current gen. So what I'm trying to say, sorry, I cut you off a few times there, Fault, so I will finish is we will have the same situation of Nintendo going with a Maxwell APU in 2017 when Pascal came out the year prior, but time swapped those two with Ampere and Lovelace. Yeah, suggesting they definitely might do that. Again, I don't want to... I know I sound probably a couple times like I'm poo-pooing that it uses Ampere. No, I think it very likely could. I just wouldn't double down that we know everything about it yet just from a couple names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, then... And I don't think it would be quite that bad, actually. I mean, look, right now, the Switch is made on a T... Well, I don't think they're really... I think they may have stopped production now, but it was being made on a TSMC node. So what I would hope's going on, because we do... And keep in mind here, I the, the, the die they use for the Switch, I don't even believe is custom. Like, I believe they literally took an off-the-shelf part. So... The fact that it's custom alone to me suggests it could be something else. And again, I want to be clear. It could just be an underpowered version of Orin on 8 nanometer. Mm -hmm. That would be completely in line with what they typically do. But the fact that it's more custom to me suggests that there is a decent chance it's got a few extra features and it might be on like TSMC 6 nanometer. Maybe not 5, but a 6 nanometer version of Ampere. 
that's better than before. Yeah, definitely. If that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's the caveat for all of this is, once again, this is just based off of some, co- some code so far. Like, at the end of the day, we just don't know if this is the end product that's going to be put into the market or not and what exactly it is. So, And, and my questions remain, the devs I talk to, why did they think Lovelace could be a Switch 2 successor and all of their other information lined up with everything else that's been leaked about the Switch 2? Something's going on mm-hmm. that confused them about it be using Lovelace. But who knows? Maybe they were just considering it and then in classic Nintendo fashion said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I am proud to say that Vite Ramen is a sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead. The Vite Ramen company is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and engineered a tasty, healthy, and cheap meal that you can cook in less than five minutes. And these meals just got tastier with their updated version three of their ramen recipe. Meals aren't really healthy unless you keep coming back to eat the healthy ones. And that's what they've done with these updates to version three. Now is the best time to order some Vite Ramen. So if you're busy, hungry, or just looking for a pre-made meal that isn't expensive, get some nudes sent to you. Click the link in the description and use the code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on your order. This helps me, this saves you money, and this supports a good company. Buy Vite Ramen today. All right, then. Let us move on to story number three. NVIDIA Lovelace 8102, an early lineup leaked by Moore's Law is dead. And, of course, the hack and others at the same time. Some of it. Uh, yours truly has, of course, been preparing both an RDNA 3 and Lovelace leaks for the past couple of months, with the exception, with the expectation that the RDNA 3 leak would be ready by April and the Lovelace one would follow shortly. Uh, however, the recent NVIDIA hack made the Lovelace leak much more sensible to do first. Uh, I mean, literally what I decided is, oh, if I literally have this confirmed thing here and sources saying it's 99% true and my other info, would I not do this leak by myself anyway? So once the hack happened, I'm like, well... Lovelace comes first, but in summary, Lovelace is based on TSMC's 5 nanometer and scales up to around double the rasterization performance of the RTX 3090. Although it must be stressed that many sources still believe it's hard for NVIDIA to even hit 90% increase over the 3090, and the initial goal was a 60 to 80% increase. So just because I put 80 to 110% doesn't mean everyone should be quoting, oh, definitely over double or something. Mm -hmm. But I can't rule it out. Anyways, continuing, ray tracing performance is expected to be notably, although not exponentially, better than the rasterization increase, so you should expect at least double the ray tracing performance over Ampere. And although the 4090 was planned to be a 400 to 450 watt card initially, it is now expected by all sources to be a 500 to 600 watt card. And actually, since I put that leak out, another source got to me and said the same. So it's going to use a lot of energy, guys. Lovelace almost certainly will paper launch in quarter three, although there is some debate about if a mid-range die will launch a little earlier in the summer. And one of the reasons a top die may launch after a mid-range one is, stated by Moore's Law's Dead, one source states that Lovelace is built to support GDDR speeds up to at least GDDR7 specs and possibly literally supports GDDR7 eventually. 
And so I guess what else is there to say? A lineup like this could see us receiving an RTX 4070 16 gigabyte with performance above a 3090 for $600 and a 12 gigabyte 4060 with 3080 performance or better for $400. And they, if it doesn't have GDR7 at launch, they can maybe refresh it again for some RTX 5000 series. Um, and yeah, I, and I do think the mid-range ones are more exciting to me than the high end because I'm sorry, like I am not getting a 600 watt card. But I don't know, Dan, what did you think about this uh, big old leak that uh, we put out? I think it, it like you said, the, the mid-range, I think just more and more. I mean, I guess if we're calling the 40, 4070, I guess is mid-range, low high end, depending on who you ask. Well, I think but, it might use GA one hundred and three. So at that point, I would say it's low. It's definitely again because like middle. It's like one hundred two, one hundred three, one hundred four, one hundred six, one hundred seven. What's in the middle? You know. Yeah, that's you know? true. So it's still well, I guess yeah. So that's technically in the top half <laughs> now <laughs> instead of one hundred four being in the middle, especially with uh, a couple other ones. But yeah, go on. I, it goes back to the idea that we hit on I think multiple times in this podcast with. Uh, Yes, the top end becoming increasingly like almost a parody (laughs) of itself. A PC gaming. Yeah, Yeah. at a certain point where it's like a $2,000 graphics card that uh, uses more energy than two refrigerators for some reason. Like, yeah, cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, refrigerator power consumption, yeah. it's It's almost comical, and especially if these are just like... I don't know, dumb Halo products that they don't make that many of them. They just have to say that this is the top of performance. Woo, be excited. Like, it gets to the point where I don't know what to even say about them anymore. But on the other side of that, you know, you have uh, something that's as strong as a 3090 for maybe $600 late this year or early next year. And something... And uh, something that can play 4K really well at like hopefully $400. Assuming that's also assuming, Assume, I guess, a lot of assumptions. Yeah. The that's assuming that the MSRP debacle ever relents and that a, car, mm-hmm. a potential $400 card doesn't just end up getting sold for $750 or $800 on not resellers but like new egg <laughs> just, just literally aib is saying the msrp of their model is 800 yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but with those caveats like if something for like four or five hundred dollars that's can do 4k or in something that's six hundred dollars that's about the power of a 3090 comes out eh, that's not that bad that's and it just kind of gets to a point where there's no purpose in discussing the top end because they don't really deliver anything other than a bigger number. And I don't know the necessity to buy a gigantic case that you put in a mini fridge to actually keep cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I want to talk about this because there's a few reasons that I just think any main model having over 600 Watts and I've talked to a few sources and we agree. Look, if they want to make 600 Watts work in a triple slot, you know, air cooled carb, they can, but I do think 600 Watts is the limit. Like just like, I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of the engineering of the cooler required. I just literally think it'd be very hard to do with air cooling in a triple slot design. 
over 600 watts, but also the Gen 5 PCIe power connector it will use supports up to 600 watts sustained. And then you, of course, get 75 watts from the PCIe, suggesting 675 watts total. And that's sustained, so it's not like with power spikes it couldn't mm -hmm. handle it. But that makes... I mean, one of the main reasons they did this whole 12-pin was to have one main connector, and if they already need to put two in on their high-end card, that's not some absurd $2,000 Halo product that they only make 10 of, which, again, they might do with a 4090 Ti. Um, I, I just don't think they'd want to do that. I think they want to limit it to one power connector. That was always the goal. And additionally, I think that people need to start thinking about I saw this brought up in the YouTube comments about what the limits of a house's electricity is. Like... Mm -hmm. It's, it's lower in the U.S. because of our voltage standard. And it's honestly conceivable that if you have like a monitor using 100 watts, which is a lot for a monitor, but it's possible, a 100-watt monitor, a ceiling fan on, you know, a light on on your desk, and who knows, an air conditioner? When I lived in Peoria, I had an air conditioner in the room I worked in, uh, a window air conditioner. You know, those can use hundreds of watts. You add all of that on top of a PC, which remember, if there was an 800-watt card, for example... That's the card. You then have the whole case, which is going to have really good case fans, which use energy to pull it out of there, plus a CPU that's getting stressed hard by this crazy card. Like you're talking about a PC that uses at least 1,000 watts, in addition to, like I said, monitor, fan, maybe a window air conditioner, which you're certainly going to have turned on when you use this card. All of these things combined, uh, you're kind of debatably getting close to the limits of what a U.S. household's breaker can handle a fuse in one room and what and, and and you know at least in my old house it and you find this in houses all the time like uh oh like i remember during christmas at our parents house in minnesota uh we had to reset the fuse a couple times because apparently this big blow-up christmas tree they had out front shared energy <laughs> with my mom's office and while she was working and and i guess with the living room if we had the tv on and a few things on at the same time that we had the outside decorations on, it would turn off the power in that room. Like there's things like that in houses that you don't expect to be an issue before you even make a graphics card, use the energy of uh, five consoles. I don't know. Like, yeah. So, and then think of the power spikes and think of like some houses are just under-engineered and the builder got away. There's going to be plenty of houses that if you plug this thing in, it just shuts down the house or starts a fire. Yeah. Uh, it there, there gets a point where it, it is not viable to make a graphics card that uses so much energy. I, and I hope 600 watts is truly the limit where people are like, all right, we're, we're done. But, you know, some people will make the stupid decision to and not care about any of that. Yeah. And just the power components required for this, I mean, the extent, this will be so expensive to make. And I, I already know behind the scenes, NVIDIA is telling their partners 400 watts is the new high-end power usage and tell people to get 1,000-watt power supplies. But they're not telling them to get 1,500-watt power supplies yet. And I just, I just continue to maintain there has to be some calculus here where they consider the power supplies most Ampere users have. And they or Turing because a lot of people skipped Ampere who already had Turing, for example. And they go, you know, if someone has a 3090, they that uses 350. The AIB models use up to 500 watts. The Kingpin one uses like 700 or something crazy. Like we can totally bet 
that a 3090 owner will take a 450 watt card. We can bet that a 3080 or maybe even 500 watt card that a 3080 owner can take a 400 watt card. And I think they can. I think if you have a power supply that can support a 320 watt, and there are AIB models that use over 400 watts, 3080s, then the reference model using $400 probably won't affect anyone with even, even a 750 watt power supply would probably be enough. My, I have a platinum rated 750 watt power supply. It ran a 3080 Ti overclocked using 400 watts. Fine. Zero issues. No stability problems. The second you go to like 450 watts for a 3080 or certain, I mean 4080, or certainly above 450, I just think there has to be someone right in the room at NVIDIA going, hey, our customers can't buy this who already own a 3080. Yeah. And I would hope that they would want the 4060 to max out at 300. I mean, not 40, well, certainly 4060, but 4070 max out at 300 watts. A lot of people who get the 70 class cards, this goes all the way back to the 970 guys, 670, they're typically used to having cards sometimes under this amount yeah like 200, 200 watts, watts honestly yeah 200 watts was common for a while or mm-hmm. not uncommon still but <laughs> but like anyone you know who has a 500 watt power supply as long as it's high quality you, you can use a 300 watt card as long as you're not pushing you know an overclocked alder lake system to the moon or, and it would have to be the i9 alder lake because i have an alder lake i5 with me i've been testing and yeah it, it uses like 100 watts so you'd be fine probably but the second it goes above 300 watts, there's a ton of customers that might go, yeah, I, I don't care. You're definitely right that that the 4070 would need to remain under 300 watts, which that doesn't seem unrealistic to me, assuming that they're pushing the 4090 past where they initially were expecting it to because they want to compete heavily with AMD. And maybe the 4070 can remain the card that, it, that they're... Mm-hmm. that it originally was supposed to be which 70 class cards uh from it in nvidia should probably use somewhere between 200 and 300 watts generally speaking mm-hmm. yeah i guess to start wrapping up this conversation a bit um the one thing i wonder here that i've been thinking about lately is and i made the, and, and let me preface this by saying I, I made this point in my lovelace leak like i need to be clear guys lovelace didn't start as 90% better than Ampere using 350 watts. It started as using at least 400 watts, being around 60 to 80, some people saying 65, 70% better than Ampere. So it's already was planned to be overclocked from the start. It's starting overclocked at 400 watts for like, I don't know, 75% more performance than Ampere. To get to, and everyone keeps saying this, almost double, not over, most people tell me almost double, you have to push it to like, it's already been pushed. And and I've been thinking like, so what? Going from let's say 400 to 600 watts, a 50% energy increase after a card's already overclocked. How often in any architecture in history has that given you more than 20% more performance? Yeah, because... I, I, I mean, mean, look at Vega Liquid. What is it like 10% better than the normal Vega at most? And it used 30, 40% more energy. So like, why would we expect this to go from, and at least I'm sure of my sources, like 75% better than Ampere to over double by using 50% more power, especially when it was starting overclocked. That'd be like suggesting AMD was preparing some liquid cooled version of Vega that used like, like again, like 600 watts and somehow they added 30, 40% more performance. When has that ever worked in history? Never. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? I, uh, it, yeah, when you deliver more power, you uh, 
it's like with everything there you approach a limit to how much more you of can diminishing get. returns in performance yeah yeah or <laughs> there's diminishing returns and then there's like straight up you just don't get anything more out of it at a certain point mm-hmm. like there there is a limit to how much you can get out of anything usually and you know if my memory serves me correctly gamers nexus really pushed vega liquid hard on like really good cooling and said you know the board's built so well you can push this car to use almost a thousand watts and it probably won't break but and it will give you more performance the more power you give it like it really will but he's like you know going from 300 watts to 400 might give you 20 percent more so you're increasing performance by over 30 percent for 20 percent more performance and that's if it's a good sample and he's like and then if you go to 500 watts you might get another 10 like most and then after that you're adding like five percent to use triple the energy so again that uh, that's very comparable to what the rumors are suggesting and what i've kind of heard about lovelace it's just i don't know why we would expect this to i i again i I don't know why you'd push it that much more past the efficiency curve if it was already overclocked and expect any more than another five percent i'm kind of leaning towards saying again i know i said 80 to 110 percent and I want it to be as strong as possible, kind of. <laughs> the, the power usage makes me hesitate to say that statement. But when I say 80 to 110%, if it gets to 110%, I'm much more surprised than if it hits 80. Like, mm-hmm. I, it already was overclocked using 400 watts. If they manage to go from 80 to 100, that's, you're adding 30% more performance with, I mean, God, so much more power. I don't know how they managed. That's never worked with other architectures, guys. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I don't know if there's much else to say about this leak. I don't know if there's any card in the lineup you saw from my leak that you thought was more interesting than the ones we discussed. You know, I, I don't know if you have anything to say about GDDR7. All I can say is that this isn't, again, confirmed that it will launch with GDDR7, but this comes from the same, as far as, let's just say, a source I know that was the only one early on to suggest GDDR6X to me. So, the only one. So... I mean, I think it's quite possible it has GDDR7 support, or at the very least, the fastest GDDR6 or GDDR6X on the market at the time. So approaching 27 gigabit, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to say with GDDR7 possibly being on it. I think we were on GDDR5 for a while, and for and we were also on DDR3 forever. And I, things are moving a little bit faster now than they used to. So maybe there's only one generation of cards that really utilize GDR6 slash 6X. Oh, there's two. Oh, yeah, there is two. Yeah, and I guess that is, I'm glad you brought that up. That is something that I forgot to mention that I do want to say uh, before we move on here. I'll even put a timestamp for this part of the conversation um, because I think this is important for people to remember. Turing used GDR6. What used GDR5X? Pascal right before mm-hmm. Turing. You know, so Ampere would be following the same pattern. They use GDR6, they use GDR6X in the top of their next-gen lineup, and then they move to GDR7 as quickly as possible, just like Turing. Yeah, I, and for I, some reason, I was thinking towards the bottom of the lineup at, of uh, Turing, there was more GDR5, but I, that was just me misremembering. <laughs> and as for, you know, anyone knowing about GDR7, I think some people are like, but I've heard GDR6X, and it's like, yeah, they're, they're probably using that in their engineering samples right now, but they're building the controller for that that might also use the same, I think it's called PAM4 signaling, GDR7 will. So with, with all that in mind, keep in mind that GDR6X wasn't rumored until 
And I do believe Igor's lab was the first one to break that, like July or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like all of 2020 we were talking about GDR6X. Everyone, including me, was talking about GDR6. And the only thing I was consistently told is that it was clocked incredibly fast. Then we learned in July, oh, it's GDR6X, mm-hmm. you know? So the idea that it's surprising the drivers don't mention it or this doesn't, why would they yet? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't before. Yeah, that's true. And. And the final note on that actually is this too. I think people look at us using GDDR5 since what? Was it the 3870 or 4870? It was a long time ago. And then we moved to GDDR6 and it's like, why are we moving to seven so quickly? Because we were stuck on 28 nanometer. Mm-hmm. These dies, these chips for RAM are made on silicon too, guys. So if we get stagnated on silicon, well, you're stuck using GDDR5 for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so moving to GDDR7, again, even if it's not at the initial Lovelace launch, but about a year from now, yeah. And I, and I know that other upcoming architectures are going to use it too. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to confirm which ones just yet because I'm saving that for another leak. But let's move on to a reader mail here. Beefish writes in, your recent video got me thinking about NVIDIA's segmentation. What would it do to the stack if AD-102 was only for the 90 and Titan-class cards? That seems the most NVIDIA-like move. Huge flagship performance, 30% bump across the stack otherwise. It seems to me that without yield issues, they wouldn't cut the 102 die down enough to justify a 3080, or I guess it means 4080. Also, without mining and with a robust-used market, is there going to be a market for $2,000 cards? I suspect people were only buying them for a lack of alternatives. And my answer is it all comes down to competition. I mean, the 3080 was only 10% away from the 3090, and they gave it the 102 die because they had to to compete with RDNA 2. Same as now. If they didn't have to, no, I think they would use 103, and they still could. Let's be clear. The 4080 may use 103. Maybe the 4080 Ti is what the cutdown 102 is, right? But at the same time, I what I know about RDNA 3, I just don't think so. Yeah, and I think we covered this recently on something where we talked about this but i i just think the idea that uh they would only use the die for one card could only really be true if there was like a really and it could be really high but like if they achieved like some really specific yield so they could sell you know their top die as only one card because if if uh they need to if that top die isn't disabled at all well, then they're probably throwing out a lot of good of cards that can be disabled or if they need to or if there's only a really small number of uh, of uh, really high yield dies, they can sell that for a higher price point if they want to. So I, I think either way, they're leaving money on the table by only would be leaving money on the table if they didn't release multiple variants of AD 102. Well, and. They are going to have to disable a decent amount of it, you know, and and there's multiple ways they can segment these cards. They can give it 22 gigabytes, 20 gigabytes, but ultimately, guys, the names, the segmentation of these cards, it's whatever they want it to be for competition. Every gen, like Titan can be whatever it is. It's sometimes the full die. Sometimes it wasn't the four, the 80 series is whichever, you know, the GTX 580 was the top full spec die for uh, what is it? GK 100. Uh, no, GF100 or something. So, like, when they had to, the top card was just the 80, and it 
use the full die. I mean, the 780 Ti came out after the initial tie-in fully enabled, unlike the 1080 Ti that was not fully enabled. NVIDIA does what they have to to compete. And why did they do that with the 7080 or 780 Ti? Because they had to to match or beat the 290X. And I think they have to now. And, and yeah, I mean, it all comes down to how they need to segment it, what they think AMD will do. I just think they want the 4080 to be comparable to whatever AMD calls the 7800 XT for sure. Yeah. Um, which, speaking of segmentation, let us move on then to story number four. And this one's less of a story so much as following up on what well, is kind of a story here. Uh, I titled this Moore's Law Z Hints at RDNA 3, and then I put in parentheses and four question mark details. And we need to talk about the lineup some more. So I've already just did a video where the opening part of it discussed clarifications on that chart I put out there where I was actually kind of annoyed that a chart that I said above chart is not final. Some of it's based on information from MLID sources that this seemed to be shared more than my actual confirmed new info from Lovelace, including a GDDR7 controller, which blew my mind. Um, but I mean, a lot, a lot of people pointed out to me, I should have expected that and I probably should have. Yeah. Um, but I think, I just think we need to start talking about just a little bit here, Dan, about how much of this can change a lot based on a few factors going one way or another, because there's multiple factors that can go one way or another. And if you compound them, these lineups, this is not me doubling down on how everything will be segmented. I had tons of people email me and DM me saying, I'm not kidding. Wait, should I get a 4070 instead since it's going to have 16 gigabytes? Why would a why is AMD going to give us only eight gigabytes on the 7700 XT? And I'm like, guys, these aren't out now. Are you, what are you asking if you should pre-order? I, I, they can do whatever they want, you know? Um, I, and so I'm trying to see what other things to say about this. So, for example, Navi 33, which again, since I've released this video, I've received a little more information. I do believe this is probably a monolithic 6 nanometer card that I think is targeting 6900 XT performance with a 128-bit bus, but probably a lot more Infinity Cache mm -hmm. and architectural upgrades. So it basically, again, it's what I said in my video is it's analogous to the 6600 XT compared to the 5700 XT. It's like, can we make the 5700 XT more efficient, a little smaller, and have a little more performance and sell it as a lower mid-range card? That's what I think they're trying to do with a monolithic 7600 XT most likely. But yeah, I think maybe Navi 23 will be the 7600 XT and seeing a 128-bit bus, which isn't 100% confirmed, but I'm pretty sure. I think actually it probably is more likely to be the 7600 XT. Would you agree? As opposed to what? The, the 7700 XT. Even if it's as strong as the 6900 XT, like and it ha if it has 8 gigabytes, wouldn't you think actually this is just Navi 33? I'm sorry, this Navi 33 is the 7600 XT, which Navi 23 was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that that sounds like they're keeping in line with what they done this generation. I, and at the end of the day, I, I, it depends, I think, on how much the dies above it are disabled or the <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe mm -hmm. maybe there's only two and they call this the 50s. No, maybe. Maybe there's only like three and they call this the 700. Maybe there's four dot, four variants and they call this the 6600 XT. And they have really good marketing like oh, our low end beats our previous high end or something. Although with half the, well, maybe yeah, half the RAM. with half the RAM, I don't, I'm just saying maybe it comes with uh, 12 gigabytes and has a 196 bit bus. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I mean, no, no. it's 128. So okay. No. So you have to disable it to a 96 bit bus yeah. and then give it, 
I don't think they're giving 96-bit bus 12 gigabytes, yeah. but yeah. I do want to put down my foot on one point here about if they would call this the 7700 XT. At the end of the day, who cares what it's called? What matters is what it's priced at and how it performs relative to the competition. So, for example, and this is the example I keep bringing up, if we don't know for sure where Lovelace will hit, Exactly. And 20% for both of these, they're both like plus minus 20%. Both of these lineups it can make a huge difference. What if the 4090 is only 80% better than the 3090? If that's true, that would to me suggest a 4070 that instead of beating the 3090 by like 30% is probably just about the same as a 3090 Okay, so now mm-hmm. the 4070 is at 3090 performance or maybe a little weaker, but with better ray tracing. Well, so then what if AMD blows out expectations and goes a little bit above double the performance? So Navi 31, what if that beats the 4090, right? What if the 7970 XT beats the 4090 by like 40%? I don't think it will, but what if it did? You know, and then what that would mean the seven, like Navi 23 is the same performance as the 4070. And on a monolithic six nanometer die, even if it's probably like 400 something millimeters squared, it's still a really established die. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, the 4070 is probably on like a 400 millimeter squared five nanometer die. If AMD like releases a slightly bigger die in an older node, they can make it cheaper. So like, would you really tell AMD to put 16 gigabytes on this card or would it be better for them to make it $400? and have only eight, but the same performance is a $600 4070. Really, you're not going to consider saving $200 for the same performance. Yeah, I, I see. It, like, there might be a point that, where... To, that's worst case scenario for NVIDIA, best for AMD. That's what I think AMD would do. Yeah, and, and there might be, like you're saying, to our eyes right now, maybe it would look... It looks odd, but if the market is at a point where it would make more sense for them to just release like a $150, $200 cheaper card for with half the RAM, that's probably good enough. Like, and and they can market it as like an ultimate 4K, not 4K, ultimate 1440p card or something, and 8 gigabytes will be fine for 1440p. That might be a better option than overloading it with RAM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that brings into question, like a, couple, a few people say this too in the comments, um... It doesn't matter what they call it. If it's as strong as a 6900 XT, giving it 8 gigabytes of RAM is stupid. And it's like, I don't know about that because games keep getting harder to run, you know. So if it's $400 and called the 7600 XT, which again, in hindsight, I think this is possibly just the 7600 XT, quite quite likely, actually. Um if Kind of if we go to the middle of the outcomes for both RDNA 3 and Lovelace performance. Like... I, I, I mean, if it's as strong as a 6900 XT, uh, then that means that you're looking at 1440p, 144 hertz ultra, and 8 gigabytes is enough for that. And that's always what this card was going to be targeted at anyways. Why would you give it 16 gigabytes if you just have to remember the same performance is now lower high end? It's not a high end card anymore. They don't expect people to be playing the newest games in 4K. Games have gotten harder to run. Now they expect this to more be targeted at the 1440p gamer, except now they can run it at higher frame rates than what they tried to get away with before with those cards. Yeah, which I think that's what, yeah, I think that's what you're going to see happening. Like this is now a, 
this level of performance is 1440, like w- kills 1440, like 120. And it might be a little deficient at 4K because it doesn't have enough RAM for 4K. Yeah. And so outside of that, though, looking at this lineup, and again, with everything I'm saying now not being me doubling down, I'm just saying consider the other options. I actually do wonder if, you know, it's all going to depend on how much AMD can win by. If they only win by like 5%, then I only expect a 7950 XT. But I want to be very clear. I do expect at least a 7950 XT, if not a 7970 XT, because they're about to launch a 6950 XT. And I do think they will take the crown by a tiny bit. They're going to want to add a new segment for that. If that happens, then I think you could very conceivably see a $1,500, 32 gigabyte, 7950 XT, a $1,200 or $1,000, 32 gigabyte, 7900 XT, probably $1,200, and then a $800, $900, 24 gigabyte, 7800 XT, and then a $600, $12 gigabyte, $7700 XT. I'm basically saying uh, if if AMD only wins by about 10 to 15%, maybe 20%, I could actually see no 7970 XT at launch. And there's just a 7950 XT, and then they just give all Navi 31 dies, 32 32 dollars, 32 gigabytes at first, and then they give Navi 32 24 gigabytes. But then the cut down Navi 32 has 12 gigabytes, 7700 XT, because I don't think they need the 68, the 7800. They didn't need the 6800. I think that was a, kind of a redundant product. <sighs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I I at least never hear anyone talk about the 6800. <laughs> You know, because they didn't make any after launch. Basically, <laughs> that's why they stopped making them. How many of those TSMC yields at that are smaller than Ampere need to be disabled? Like, what was that thirty percent or something? Like, it was it was a ridiculous what, many, amount. Uh, yeah, I don't remember exactly. Sixty divided by eighty. Yeah. So that's... yeah, twenty five percent. You have to disable this twenty five percent, and you're giving it sixteen gigs of RAM. Yeah, I I don't I think that's actually in hindsight, and I kind of wish I would have put that on the chart. The most likely scenario now is I I think I I think if they only beat Nvidia by a little, they actually only have a seven nine fifty XT at first, or they call it the seven nine seventy XT, and that is thirty two gigabytes for like fifteen hundred seventeen hundred. Then below that's a seventy nine hundred XT that ties the forty ninety or beats it a little, and then below that twenty four gigabytes seventy eight hundred XT. Cut down Navi 32, 7700 XT with 12 gigabytes. I think that's a good way to segment it. It's like the argument being, hey, the 7700 XT is only you know, 20% weaker than the 7800 XT, but it has half the RAM. But if you're getting this, honestly, you don't need more than 12 gigabytes for even 4K anyways. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I guess the final thing to say about this subject here, which we've been on for a little bit, is I just think that one thing that needs to also be kept in mind which is the main point of the video is that if amd is going with mcm and by all accounts they are for the top two configurations that they wouldn't do so if they can't price it competitively with lovelace you know and i think they will and i think people thinking oh this just sucks they're going because i've seen this like that they're using multiple dies because they won't be able to make anything for below a thousand dollars no that's not true man what you have to think about is how most of it can maybe be pushed to the six nanometer portion if they have a t- infinity cache tile, IO tile, or at the very least, even if it's just two five nanometer dies, well, you're dividing that up into smaller dies that will have better yields. So mm-hmm. it will be more economic than Lovelace. What it, or I think if Lovelace is pushed that hard because the power components are going to offset any benefits by not having to package multiple dies. Yeah. And again, I, I've been recently told a, a, a yesterday, like, 
RDNA 3's efficiency is going to blow Lovelace out of the water, that they're sure of that at this point. So uh, that, that more heat means more cost to make it, guys, mm-hmm. at this point. <laughs> it's not like 20% more energy usage, eh, whatever. It's like, oh, no, we need entirely new boards to make sure this thing doesn't light on fire <laughs> in your case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all this is to say is I think the performance will be close. I don't think NVIDIA would be pushing this if they weren't at least thinking they can get close to top RDNA 3, most likely. We'll have to see. Uh, and I think it's going to come down to ray tracing, FSR, and DLSS. So, yeah. And I do think, I do want to say the final thing I want to say on this is um, I guess I'm going to get to a reader mail here. BBC 6800 XT Big Sexy writes in and he says, again with these names, would you bet one Bitcoin that RDNA 3 will soundly beat Lovelace and Raster, or at least tying it in RT performance? I would not bet a Bitcoin, no. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 people haven't been using the bet channel on the Moore's Law is Dead Discord for a while, which I added just to make sure people force us to, to clarify our positions on things. Because if you make me put money on the table, even if I'm not really doing it, but if you make me think about if I'd bet money on it, I'm clarify if I actually think this is going to happen firmly. And I am fairly certain. I'm like, I don't want to put a number on it, but I'm like upper estimates that RDNA 3 will beat Lovelace and Raster. But not enough for me to put $40,000 on the line. I'm not 100%. That means I I might be 90% or more, but I'm not 100%. And certainly not if you add ray tracing, because I keep hearing about like double amperes ray tracing or better. And then I hear over double for RDNA 3, maybe triple over RDNA 2, but RDNA 2 is behind Ampere, so I think the ray tracing will be close. And I think NVIDIA is probably going to win at something. Yeah, I, I, and obviously RDNA 2 had huge leaps above Ampere, but, I mean, not above, huge leaps to catch up to uh, NVIDIA when it comes to ray tracing, but they're still behind, and I feel like they're, I feel like there's a good chance they'll still be behind again next generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll have to see. It's, We'll have to see. Yeah. You know, I think I think the ray tracing per raster performance for Lovelace will probably still beat RDNA 3, but we don't know if RDNA 3 will at least get close to that and then just blow it away in raster and therefore kind of by default win. You also have got to think about, here's another funny thing, how heavy the ray tracing is in a game to where the raster performance advantage still makes AMD get a higher frame rate when ray tracing is turned on. Mm. Yeah. It's, you yeah. see what I mean? We, I think most games, ray tracing will bog it down more, but there may be some where uh, turns out AMD is able to pull ahead just because of that, because it started from a higher starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, Spamton Neo writes, and he says, assuming that the top RDNA 3 is called the 7970XT with a standard of 32 gigabytes, what would be your dream Toxic Extreme Edition? No limits to cost, as that is pretty close to the point of the Toxic series. Um, I mean, if it's literally the same card, I, I, nothing. I think we're looking at you know, double the raster, more than that in ray tracing, more RAM. You know, if it's called a 7970 XT, one reason I would like that is because they could market it as 10 times the RAM and performance of a 7970 or whatever it would. It is 10 times the RAM of the three gigabyte <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 7970. So that would be fun marketing. I don't think I have anything else to ask for except that if it's a 450 watt card, which I think top RDNA 3 may be 380 to 450. I do think it will be. That when it's gaming and not being tapped too hard, that unlike Ampere, it actually clocks down to like 250 watts or something and doesn't heat up my room most of the time. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, if the seven, something like the 7970 in your video actually does end up 
getting released in that form. I, I, I almost just don't even know what a toxic version of that could be. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, or like what you would ask for. Yeah. Honestly, Spamton, I don't have anything to ask for. I'm pretty happy with the 3070. I wish it had more RAM, maybe a tad more performance, but it runs everything I want to play very well. This would be conservatively like triple that performance. I'm sounds good. <laughs> I can't imagine going from playing most games at 4K 100 to 4K 300 and then turning up settings and scrambling to try to get it down to 120 because I don't think I will be able to in most games. I, I don't I don't think I'll ask for much. <laughs> um, Tick Tickler writes him, Apple simp here to the rescue. Coming out of the blue to redirect the conversation to the M1 Ultra or whatever people want, uh, whether people want it or not. Well, I do want to talk about it a little bit, so... Do keep that in mind when you say whether we want it or not. It is whether I read your question, but I am going here, Big Tickler. He says, it seems like the scalability of their silicon is really starting to run a train on the competition. 20-core CPU, 64-core GPU with 128 gigabytes of unified memory, and still another chip is double that. They got the M1 Max down to $2,000 price point, and they're always going to be a full node ahead of everyone, it seems. Uh, not soon. I think this is still on some version of 5 nanometer, like even if you call it 4 nanometer, but I think it's still just literally 5 nanometer because it's using the previous one. Because Apple is enough blind syncophants, so I try not to hype them up too much, but I'm still seeing stupid Apple selling overpriced phone chips comments right now, and I just find it's crazy at this point. It's the largest company on the planet that's like someone saying the U.S. military is weak because Americans all eat McDonald's. Well, they do say that. You should meet European people. Because I wanted to get your take on it since you're typically the most thought through in the hardware crowd. Well, thank you for the compliment. Yeah, well, let's get to it. Let us move on to story number five. Apple announces the M1 Ultra combining two M1 Maxes for workstation performance. About kind of a modified version of the write-up from Anantech here. As part of Apple's spring peak performance product event on March 8th, Apple unveiled the fourth and final member of the M1 family of Apple Silicon SoCs, the M1 Ultra. Aimed squarely at desktops specifically, Apple's new Mac Studio, the M1 Ultra finds Apple once again upping the ante in terms of SoC performance for both CPU and GPU workloads. And in the process, Apple has thrown the industry a fresh curveball by not just combining two M1 Max dies into a single chip package, but by making the two dies present themselves as a single monolithic GPU in the so software, marking yet another first for the chip making company. At the heart of the new M1 Ultra is something a bit older, the M1 Max. Specifically, Apple is using two M1 Max dies here and then bonding them together to form a massive amalgamation of 114 billion transistors. This amalgamation includes a total of 20 CPU cores, 16 Firestorm cores, four Efficiency Ice Storm cores, Firestorm already being outpaced by newer architectures like Intel's Golden Cove, so don't expect it to recover the lead for single-threaded performance, but it will have incredible multi-threaded efficiency, according to them. It will have double the memory chips, allowing the M1 Ultra to top memory at 128 gigabytes, 64 cores, or 8,192 execution units in the GPU capable of 21 teraflops, supplied by 800 gigabytes per second of bandwidth. Officially, Apple only states they're using a silicon interposer here, which is the generic term for the t technology. But going by Apple's promotional videos and mock-up animations, it looks like they're using a small silicon bridge of shorts, which would make this similar in implementation to Intel's EMIB technology or elevated fan-out bridge EFB technology. With Ultra Fusion, Apple is capable of offering 2.5 terabytes per second of bandwidth 
for the M1 max dies. And if we assume that is an aggregate adding up both directions at once, that would still mean that they can share 1.25 terabytes per second of bandwidth in each direction. This does exceed then Apple's aggregated DRAM bandwidth of 800 gigabytes per second, suggesting it's enough for the GPUs to be fed back and forth at the same time over that connection. The company is tooting that the M1 Ultra's GPU performance exceeds that of NVIDIA's RTX 3090, which at the moment is the single fastest video card on the market. And furthermore, that they're able to do so while consuming only a bit over 100 watts or 200 watts less than the 3090. Over 200 watts less than the 3090, my friends. But yeah, so... I looked at this. It's really interesting. Um, the 3090 claim somewhat is, seems plausible to me. I looked at hardware unboxed M1 Pro benchmark, which is only the 16-core version. So this is four times that many GPU cores. And that seemed to perform in games that used it well. And, and it was more than one game. It was the games that actually were optimized, like a 1060. You quadruple 1060 performance. You know, Think about it. Double it. Oh, now you're a little above 1080 Ti. Double 1080 Ti. 3090. You look at tech power-ups 3090 performance compared to a 1060. It seems plausible this could have 3090 performance. Um, and I also just, we have to talk about this because I'm working on other leaks right now for multi-die chips. And the connection system here is a much weaker version of something AMD is working on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it is coming out first. Yeah, I mean, and this is already is a, available, isn't it? Or yeah, it comes out in like a few okay. days or something. So... And in terms of like how many, let me see here, number um, 28 billion. So it, look, this is this is an SLC guys. too. keep in mind. Granted, yes, but it is true, but it is like four times the transistors or over three times the transistors of a 3090 on five nanometer, which is how they do it because they're on five nanometer. You know, it, it, I think it's like a 400 millimeter squared die. So yeah, two thirds the die size of the 3090. Uh and it's on a node with double the density of eight nanometer or, or a little over that, I think, actually. So it's totally plausible. This is doable. This is, and again, it, we keep coming back to this. It doesn't look like magic to me. It just looks like a really powerful chip on the newest node. The performance doesn't seem magical. The, the power usage is really impressive if it holds across the whatever bench, if it holds outside of whatever benchmarks they use to cherry pick and show off their performance, which because that's the, mm -hmm. what needs to also be kept uh, caveated is looking at these promotional images that from Apple, you're not even quite sure like what they're showing you that you're not sure what benchmark it's being ran in necessarily. Yeah. I, I think the way Ian Cutras put it is you should only take Apple's claims as the exact claims they made that they hit the numbers they usually hit, say they will hit roughly, but that they are hitting those numbers. No new, mm -hmm. we can't be sure if another app performs that well. Yeah, exactly. Where it, 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 and just looking at it, to me, it seems even a little more obfuscated than like what you would see typically from an AMD demo where they mm -hmm. like show you the seven or eight games they want to show you. Here, it's just mm -hmm. uh, cross hire testing. This is what it is. What is this test? Who knows? <laughs> And, and, and I think we'll have to see, you know, if everything shakes out, it'll probably end up more like a 3080s performance or within 10% of a 3090. But at the end of the day, that should put things in perspective. When we talk about this Lovelace leak, Lovelace is using the same node, if not the same family of node at the very least. And okay, then, uh, guys, if a Apple can hit at least 3080 performance, at, let's just say it's 125 watts. 
then yes, I expect the 4060 to get to that at 150 to 200. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 40, you know, like that puts things in perspective. And then if you double that performance, then yeah, I expect that maybe, you know, so actually that, that goes to show how crazy bad it would be though. If, uh, but then again, this is actually, this is actually pretty big. So, uh, who knows what the die size of the 4060 will be. I guess the 4060 could have like a much smaller die size that's just pushed harder, probably. But it, it does make it all seem very plausible what we're hearing about Lovelace then, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Is there? Do you have anything else to say about this? Because I'm not sure what else there is, except that that's quite an interesting trick they've done, and I can't wait to see how well they graphics card performs in games i want to see if there are huge latency penalties in a few games or something i i I mean i think that's the big one of the big questions uh i guess because this is kind of our first look at what mc well will be our first look of what mcm or something like mcm looks like (laughs) with uh Mm -hmm. gpu performance so it'll be interesting i don't know if you can directly draw a line to anything else because this is its own technology but It'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see how well their claims hold up. Although I think Apple has generally, like with all their other M1 stuff, I don't feel like it was evident that they were quote unquote lying in their, in their, I don't want to call them benchmarks, in their presentations. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Again, and I just want to say that it is so funny to see this now. Uh, what is it? They said there's 10,000 like connections mm-hmm. per one of those like uh, ultra fusion, if that's what they called it. I don't remember for connecting the dies, like the actual like interface connection area is 10,000, like way more than you're used to seeing. AMD is working on something that looks a lot like that. That's a much more impressive version. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you guys like yet what the fact the magnitude is, but AMD, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> and the fact that we have to wait for reviews, but the fact that it seems like Apple's gotten this working in a decent way, I mean, again, shouldn't surprise anyone that AMD's gotten this working around the same time if Apple has, and especially with the budget Apple has, even if AMD had a head start with Ryzen, and I don't know, it just kind of just makes NVIDIA look bad. Yeah, it, 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 like you have the now Apple and AMD innovate, multi-die multi in, doing innovation, and yeah, it, NVIDIA just keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Which there's good reasons to stay monolithic, but it seems like there's a lot of drawbacks at the super high end yeah. of it. And the fact that on 5 nanometer, you can just have two, two chips that are basically perfect yields because they're smaller than otherwise, and you don't need to overclock them as hard and have a bunch of imbalanced voltages across a massive die. You just put two golden samples together and perfectly bend them and then look at that efficiency. And I think that's what that's what Apple's doing and that's what AMD is going to do and much more with upcoming architectures. But yeah, I did, what I have to decide is which leak I do first though with AMD because there's, there's another one I'm working on that you know where it's like I actually know enough to maybe leak something before RDNA 3, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right, enough of that though. Let us move on to story number six. RTX 3090 Ti supposedly launching on March 29th. Quoting from video cards, the rumor from Chip Hell Forum seems to be true. NVIDIA is planning to introduce and launch an RTX 3090 Ti SKU on March 29th. In fact, product reviews, including custom models, 
according to what we know, will also be published on the same day. NVIDIA shared new embargo information to its board partners recently, including the final dates for submission of the press releases for NVIDIA to approve and review seating list. These should be fulfilled between the third and fourth weeks of March. The company has not provided any explanation for the graphics card's delay, though, since its original launch date of January 27th. Off the record, it is said that there were problems with the two gigabyte GDDR6X memory that were discovered right before the cards were supposed to ship to reviewers. Okay, good. I, I, I'm i glad that well, I didn't even read that last sentence there before we started recording. Like, Because I, I know why cry and some people were saying things about BIOS issues, and I'm like, you don't have this kind of a delay with just BIOS issues. From what I heard, it was a combination of memory issues and voltage issues with the die, which they're connected. It's like they couldn't hit the right memory speeds with enough samples, and they had to like redesign the board or something. So... Yeah, there, there were a lot of issues with it, and um, I can confirm that I've heard the same thing. You know, I think I mentioned that in a video, like, really quickly. So I think this is all true, you know, that I, I've heard the same coming out March 29th. Good old 450-watt card, at least, <laughs> that uh, will be lucky to beat the 6950 XT by a percent that uses 350 watts, and oh, my God. Anyways, I don't know. Any thoughts on the 3090 Ti that can't stop rearing its head in every episode? Well, it has to rear its head in every episode because it keeps not existing for some weird unexplained reason. Um, mm -hmm. I, there's not too much to say. I mean, good they're actually getting their... I don't know how many there will be, but it's it, good they're getting their cards out uh, three months after they said they would. Or two months after they said they would. Three months after they announced it, almost. Yeah. Now, it seems like they're going to have a decent amount of reviews, but I've still heard that this card is effectively zero volume, though, compared to other cards. So I wouldn't expect to get one easily, guys. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be crazy expensive. But, eh, you know, I think this is going to, yeah, this is then probably based on what I know. And I think what other people have said publicly, launching a few weeks before the 6950 XT. So here, like, yeah, so I think that confirms entire paper launch at the very least because that's what nvidia will always do whether you can buy it or not they have to have a 3090 ti at hardware unboxed so it's on the same chart as the 6950 yeah today's video is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com as i put together a new benchmarking station for 2022 i know that whether it's running windows 10 or windows 11 i'll be getting that key from cdkeyoffer.com and that's because it's a reliable long-term sponsor of moore's law is dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring a game that i'm enjoying quite a bit whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you go to the the link on screen or in the description you can use code broken silicon to get 25% off Microsoft products and Dyshring to get 3% off everything else on the website using these codes really does help Moore's Law is Dead and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that frankly you just have to use half of the time so again use the link in the description use broken silicon use Dyshring depending on the products you're getting and pay reasonable prices for keys today at cdkeyoffer.com but let us move on then to story 
number seven. So new leaks suggest Intel is launching Arc May through June for the top Alchemist desktop cards. And I don't have a write-up for this because I don't think there's really needs to be one. But, you know, this is something confirmed by Igor's Labs. I've seen other people say it. I've been told that, yeah, you should not expect high-end Alchemist in April at all. And I just kind of thought we needed to talk about this a little bit to just update people that, yeah, I think I'm going to be doing an Alchemist leak again, updating what we should expect out of exact pricing and release dates soon, which I've kind of already leaked. But, like, I I think it's going to be time for an update within a couple of weeks because it's still, it's almost the end of March. Quarter one's almost over. Yeah, and they announced this a while ago, and it's still not out. <laughs> you know, I I just think it needs to be highlighted. the The more time goes on, just the more arc is, uh, the more arc I, I think needs to just come out, or, or else it's just not going to be that impressive at a certain point. You know, I've had some contacts about Lovelace say. If NVIDIA wanted to, they could rush out at least one of the mid-range dies in like a couple of months. It'd be a paper launch. But they can get this thing out sooner than you'd think. Like most of the specs are finalized on a lot of the lineup, just not the entire thing. And so you have to start wondering, like, I mean, Intel, get it out by the beginning of May. Because if you don't get this out until late June, what if there is a... I mean, we've had RDNA 3 leaks for a while. I know some of the early designs I saw were considering 6 nanometer. I can believe AMD might get Navi 33 out. You know, I don't think they will because they're launching a 6950 XT. To me, that telegraphs they're not going to do this. But what ha happens if at the end of summer, you know, there is a... What if the 6950 XT is just them getting rid of their the final production? Mm -hmm. You know, I have one person suggesting at least high-end Ampere might stop being produced in a few months. What if there's mid-range cards for 400 bucks, 50% stronger than Alchemist out from AMD and NVIDIA by then? They need to get this out. And those 4 million better be in the first month because no one's going to want to buy this at the end of quarter three. Yeah, exactly. Like that, <laughs> it, it needs to, if AMD or NVIDIA can get a paper launch out just like a, a month or two after Intel gets this out, there's really just going to be no huge fanfare for Alchemist. And, you know, it will, I'm sure, be good and people, it will be good at the mid-range. But at the end of the day, they're competing with year-and-a-half-old cards at this point, And they're soon to be competing with not year-and-a-half-old cards. And the more time they can have to compare themselves against those older cards, the better. And I'll say this before I put it in an upcoming leak. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but I'll say that I've basically heard Intel's considering pricing these things so aggressively that they don't make money on them, which I've been suggesting mm -hmm. the whole time, right? That they might sell some of them at cost. That's not really news uh, but until I get more of the details out. But with that in mind, then, like that they're like kind of basically thinking of buying market share. Like, okay, but I think it's easy to price something around cost that is strong uh, around a 3070 if it launches now like they kind of said it would and it but it's not if i just pulled up my lovelace leak again if i look at like for example 8106 which i think is likely going to be the rtx 4050 ti is a 128-bit card with 4600 cuda cores so i think we're looking at yeah, I think we're looking at something that has about 2080 Super to 2080 Ti raster performance, probably 3070, a little higher than that ray tracing performance. 4050 Ti, gigabyte, I think they can sell this for 300 mm -hmm. three to 350. Uh, uh, so 
I mean, that's pretty close to the performance I expect out of the top art card. Yeah. <laughs> like if they want to buy market share with a 780, which I believe is the name of the top art card. I, what do they have to pr- 350 for a 16 gigabyte card? Yeah. They, they need because get, they need a price that's like it's competing with Lovelace at this point, I'd say. Not quite yet. I wouldn't say quite yet, but yeah, it's it's getting close to that. And, and what if it underperforms? Like, what if it really, like, trades blows with a 3060 Ti, which certainly possible that could be what happens. Uh, I don't know, guys. I mean, if that happens, I don't even know. You, 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 you might, they might have to sell the 16 gigabyte card for 350, 300 to compete with a 4050. It's going to look ridiculous. So I don't know until get this freaking thing out now. And again, this to me, I point this out again with my last alchemist leak where people are like talking about how they're, they're not sure the people that think $4 million cards is a drop in the bucket. Like Monroe writes in and he says, would you bet two Bitcoin that Intel can ship 4 million graphics cards during 22? Would you bet an additional 69 Bitcoins that most of them are going to be low-end cards? Uh, by the end of this year, yes, they will be low-end cards. I would bet that Bitcoin. And do I bet that they can ship 4 million? Yes, but it's not going to be easy to sell them unless they ship them all by the <laughs> end of summer. So that's all I'm saying is I think it may feel like it helps the market a lot because like, they have to get these out before Lovelace and RDNA come out. I, I don't know. I, I, it's just, it's Intel? Come on. Come on. <laughs> All right. S1 Dirks writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Recently became a fan and a patron. My question is regarding performance uplifts and how they are quantified. You often seem to report that NVIDIA and AMD expect an X percent uplift in performance and raster. Then you'll separately say a Y percent uplift in ray tracing, for example. I've often made the assumption that this means if one were doing traditional benchmarks on raster, then it'd be like taking the previous standard generation and multiplying it by X. Conversely, why for ray tracing how many rays can be casted and calculated in a certain amount of time by the previous standard generation multiplied by the result why is this the correct way of understanding performance uplifts i've tried to look around to learn more but i find the sources to not have raw numbers to justify claims so do your sources like often give you raw numbers on performance increases or do they only provide general percentages and are these reliable when they say them in your opinion you don't have to read or answer this if this reveals. Well, anyway, I'm not going to say specific people I talk to, but um, I, a lot of times it's a combination of performance targets, and they do typically have those far ahead of time. And I think I've seen a lot of people doubt that. Like they're like, how could he know Alder Lake's going to have a 20% IPC increase? And it's like, no, it's not like they just said 20% IPC increase, go. Mm-hmm. But things are designed like five years or at least four years before they come out. And so there's the initial R&D phase, which... I've talked about my last guest on Broken Silicon. I've you often involves FPGAs where they're like, "It will this circuit actually give us this outcome?" And then they hard design it into a silicon layout, make the prototypes, and so once they're testing with FPGAs and seeing if their estimations theoretically result in the results they were hoping for with that organization of a circuit, that's where they get their IPC and performance numbers. They go, "Oh, so that worked. That didn't work. That worked. Multiply that together." Oh, we think we can beat Ampere by 70%. <laughs> you know, so that is where this comes from. Um, and, and a lot of it also just kind of has to do with how big they expect the die to be and the node they're on. Like, if you look at, 
I mean, come on. If you look at Turing compared to Pascal, what do they do? 745 millimeters squared instead of like 470 or something, I think. So it's like, oh, so we're increasing. Actually, is it linear? Because it, it, it usually is pretty linear, guys. Let's see. 745 divided by 471. So that's a 58% increase in die size. But some of that was to start supporting ray tracing. And it's on a better, slightly better node, a 12 nanometer node. So they look at that and they're like, well, it's not going to be more than 58%. Lo and behold, Turing ended up being 35, 40%, except it supported ray tracing. And like, and like, think about like equivalent die size comparisons and stuff. It's like, like RDNA2, 528 millimeter squared divided by 251. That is 2.1. Like the exact amount of performance RDNA2 over RDNA1. Yeah. <laughs> It's just now, usually you don't get the exact amount. That's a crazy good architecture if you manage to scale linearly. Crazy good. So you saw Turing didn't. RDNA2 mm-hmm. did. <laughs> you know, so if you think about, you know, what they're going to do, and then you even look at like Navi 23, which is 237 millimeter squared. So like they saved 5% die space, I think, from Navi 10, RDNA1. And they gave you like 5% more performance. The whole new architecture still took a similar amount of die space for a similar amount of performance. So a lot of these estimates can come from that as well. And and I guess that's just how I answer your numbers. That's often why they're testing things. They don't know the exact configuration, but they know what node they're working on. They know what's working in the FPGA testing. And so they can estimate a level of performance. And they start reporting it and say, okay, well, let's start planning for this lineup to kind of look like this. And, and that's where a lot of it comes from. That's why you get that before exact RAM speeds, you know, and stuff like that. And in terms of reporting RAS, RT over raster, it's just because most people look at raster first. And I think a lot of ray tracing's performance is just making sure you gain more than the raster. Yeah. Well, that's why I report it that way. Yeah. Because I mean, unless uh, ray tracing is gaining over ra- generation over generation over raster, I don't think it's that impressive because that doesn't indicate that um that that ray tracing is actually improving at all and it will still hinder performance in my opinion which it needs to escape exactly that hindrance of performance to become a real usable feature so shall we call this the ray tracing escape velocity of usability (laughs) (laughs) where it doesn't matter if you Ray tracing needs to start increasing better than raster does to make me turn it on Yeah, in most cards because it hurts performance too much to turn it on at almost all levels still. And so that's, and I think Ampere, they made these wild claims like it was 70% better rate. They made it seem like it was double the ray tracing in practice. It was like 10% better than Turing. And to be honest, most things I find it's pretty much one-to-one with Turing. Mm. (laughs) So I that's why I'm careful with my estimations from what I've heard. Now there's a ton of cash in Lovelace and AMD's reworking a ton of cash again in RDNA three, and that helps ray tracing performance a ton. So that's why I think it will increase more than raster this time. But I still hesitate to be like these ridiculous claims. Nvidia's even made that didn't turn out to be true. I'm like I still think if they can even manage 25% better ray tracing than raster, that's I don't know if it'll surprise me, but that's an accomplishment compared to every previous mm-hmm. gen. <laughs> All right. Let us move on to finally the final story. There's just been so much news these past two weeks. Uh, story number eight, Threadripper Pro, Pro Milan X, or, or should I say Milan X, low-end Ryzen and 5800X3D and more 
coming out in the next couple of months. So I, here's the write-up for all of this Ryzen crap, guys. Tons of Zen launches are coming, and the details are leaking so rapidly that it's hard to keep track. Anyways, here's what I can tell is being rumored lately. Because I haven't been paying that much attention to this, I really don't care about Zen 3 anymore. But anyways, there is decent evidence that AMD will all but, or quite literally, drop pricing on Zen 3 chips by 20 to 40% on S per SKU. Indeed, right now, if you go to Amazon in the US, the 5950X 16 core is listed for $590, and the 5800X is listed for $350 prime shipping. All of this is preparing clearly for the new cheaper SKUs and the flashiest one, the 5800X3D with Vcash, that is rumored to retail for around $450. Same price or actually a little bit more most of the time than the i7-12700K from Intel, depending on the market. Furthermore, that flashy chip is being limited from overclocking by AMD, again suggesting heat problems when Vcash is added to existing designs. And then there's more SKUs and just going through them. $300 for an 8-core 16-thread 5700X, basically a slightly weaker but almost a price drop on the 5800X, a sub $300 price for a 8-core 16-thread 5700 non-X, $200 for the 6-core 5600 non-X, $160 for the 6-core Cezanne-based 5500, presumably with graphics disabled, but limited to PCIe 8.0, which again... PCIe what? Cezanne. 8.0, uh, <laughs> 8.0, <laughs> PCIe 4, uh, 3.0. Oh, okay, yeah. Remember, Cezanne only supports PCIe 3.0, mm -hmm. so guess you're not getting a 6500 XT with this uh, low-end processor, probably. Uh, but, and sub-150 for the 4-core, 8-thread, Cezanne-based, 5100. There's also a smattering of Renoir chips that I'm not going to bother naming, all below $160, with only one of them being confirmed to have graphics disabled, which is, a, I believe, they're getting rid of a lot of their old bad yields of Cezanne chips and disabling the graphics to make i3 competitors. Uh, furthermore, Milan X Epic is coming, and Threadripper Pro, based on Zen 3 non-X, has been announced, but only for Workstation, just as executable fix and Moore's Law is dead leaked last year. Everything stated here, of course, never has 100% pricing confirmed until it's announced by AMD, and all of it is expected by the end of April. Okay, Dan. Quite, I mean, there's a lot AMD's about to release to compete with Alder Lake. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that AMD is actually responding to Alder Lake to some extent because this is more aggressive than what I would have guessed in the past, which, uh, that's good, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see someone do heavy game testing with that Milan X Epic. <laughs> like, I wonder if someone could, like, get the board to run it at decent all-corp clock speeds and simulate what a 5950X3D would have performed like. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, but otherwise... I don't know, do you have any thoughts on the segmentation? You know, it's funny, we have a friend, Brock, who's been asking if he should get these, and I'm like, it's all going to come down to street pricing because I don't think most of these really interest me at these prices. Uh, I went to Amazon. The i7-12700K is, uh, what is it? Uh, it's like 390 on Amazon. So I'm not getting a 450, 5800X3D over this. Pro you know, this is cheaper. Probably not. PCIe 5.0. I, I mean, I was expecting the... I, I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the, the 5800X3D is meant to just one-to-one -one replace the 5800x not no drop in Pretty performance much. i mean no drop in price no aggressive increase in price they're just like these replace their this replaces the 5800x which 
And then everything else in the stacks being moved. Yeah, down. which there's a downward movement in the stacks, which I think is a good thing. And I think that indicates there is somewhat of a response. They feel somewhat of a need to respond to all their lakes pricing. But I mean, if you're building a new system, the 12700K is probably still a better option than the 5800X3D, especially if you can't overclock it at all. Yeah, and I'm looking around. Yeah, so I mean, typically, you know, your Z690 boards are more than your X570, but they come with more I.O. Mm -hmm. And they don't, again, it's like when I look at these X570s, you can get a good X570 for like, seems like around 150 to 200 bucks or something, whereas Z690s, yeah, usually a little over 200. But I don't know. I, I think it all just is kind of keeping pace with the drifting down of even Alder Lake Street prices and making sure people with an AM4 motherboard who want a stronger CPU, choose AMD because I'm not choosing a $300 5700X over a $280 i5 that I just put in a benchmarking station. The i5 is better. Yeah. I, I, well, and I think... And it's cheaper. I think that's the entire... At the end of the day, still the thing, the paradigm of the market right now is if you're building new... Alder Lake is probably better, but if you already have an X570 system, uh, it's probably cheaper for you to upgrade it, uh, by just getting a new Ryzen CPU. One of these. Yeah, I, and, and again, but, but otherwise, it's hard for me to just find any of them. Like the new i3s tested I saw on Hardware Unboxed are like 10% behind a 5600X. And so if I look at what they're pricing the same as an i3, a $160 Saison mm -hmm. 6 core? Yeah, no, I guess. But uh, no, I'm not getting that over an i3. That that's probably the same as the i3, except it doesn't have a lot of the newest I/O and is on a dead platform. Well, and yeah, I think that kind of speaks to well, the AMD just hasn't really launched a low-end CPU mm -hmm. for a while because they didn't have to, I Need guess. To. And yeah, it would be good to see one of those cheaper ones actually with graphics enabled or something. All right, so that is the final story there. Let us move on then to the wrap-up. These are the stories that aren't big enough to be stories, but they are definitely worth discussing briefly if, you know, Dan or me see anything interesting. Like, for example, we already commented on it, but it seems like based on from the NVIDIA hack again, which just keeps on giving, uh, Blackwell is probably the successor to Hopper. I don't really have much to say about that. But I've seen other people kind of following up as well with their own info that it really does seem like. And, and also, I'll say this. I've kind of heard that the way it's going, I think it was Blackwell, that it's like Hopper is it's like analogous to Volta. It might have a gaming variant, but as far as we can tell, it probably won't. And it's not meant for a gaming lineup. And then Lovelace is the gaming lineup. Kind of, Again, Lovelace being Pascal. Hopper being the Volta analogy. After that, it we're going to get Blackwell, and it seems like Blackwell may be more of an Ampere situation that is for both the professional and gaming at the same time. Mm. So, and that would be probably end of 2023 then. So, I don't have much to add to that. We don't know anything, yeah. you know. Um, also, Italy, and I even saw Canada, tons of people are trying to court Intel fabs locally into their countries. So, tons of companies... Looking to move silicon manufacturing in-house. Um, I don't know. TSMC claiming three nanometer is on track. I don't have much to say about this, but it is interesting 
how Daniel Nenny and I were talking about hearing about three nanometer issues, then other leakers started bringing it up, and now TSMC is like, nope, it's ahead of schedule. Don't worry. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I, I heard enough of my sources that are 100% reliable say, like, oh, RDNA 4 is actually considered three nanometer now because they're worried. Yeah, or yeah. four nanometer now because they're worried about three nanometer. So, hmm. I mean, I'm not sure what to make of that at this point. You know, that's interesting <laughs> but yeah it's kind of over it, it, here's what it sounds like to me it sounds like three nanometer isn't like five it's not going crazy full steam ahead with zero mm -hmm. issues but it, it and it might be having more troubles than seven but it's not a 16 or 20 nanometer situation that's gonna be crazy delayed i think we're definitely gonna see it probably within the year it's out i just think we're definitely gonna be on five nanometer for a bit there and a lot of products are going to use it for a very long time before three nanometers the standard unlike five mm -hmm. and seven um the 6950 xt may be all black okay i think it looks cool uh and also this doesn't get a main story because there's nothing to talk about yet but amd may announce fsr 2.0 soon and i want to talk about that for a second because I've seen a lot of people talk about how FSR 2.0 isn't going to be announced anytime soon, but AMD's doing a GDC talk about upscaling games, and don't worry, they're not going to talk about FSR 2.0. What I can confirm is that my sources say FSR 2.0 is coming before RDNA 3, probably. So, you know, I don't know if that's worth writing an article <laughs> on WCCF talking about, but I'm saying, yeah, and that will be in an upcoming leak I'm working on, something about that. So I think it's plausible AMD announces FSR 2.0 in two weeks. And I, I'm specifically having a guest on around then in case they do. <laughs> a guest who I know will be able to speak to it very specifically and technically. I mean, I hope FSR 2 gets announced soon. That would be cool. And actually... And, and I think it's essential they do. Yeah. Because FSR is getting support. Not quite enough, though. And DLSS has only gotten more impressive and more support at the same time. And I do think it has to happen before RDNA 3 logically. You want that big splash. You want RDNA 3 not to launch with FSR 2.0. And all of the commentary before RDNA 3 launch is saying, well, let's wait to see if FSR 2.0 is any good. Ideally, you want FSR 2.0 to be established and not an unknown before you launch your new architecture. So that people aren't waiting mm -hmm. to buy it. You know, so I think it will be announced this summer, though, at the very least. I'm, I, I, I expect them to hint at it in a couple of weeks, guys. We have another Spectre possibly issue, by the way, for Intel graphics card, <laughs> Intel processors with possible more performance hits on Alder Lake than Zen. I don't have anything to add to this. I kind of added it last minute. It, it broke recently. But again, I, this is something to watch, people, if this keeps happening. And I will say, if this does happen with Alder Lake, I just don't know what's going on there because a lot of it was tied to how long they're using the same architecture. But this has have similarities. It's still a core architecture. It's still part of the core series. We're on, you know, twelfth gen of it. Yeah. So I don't know. Intel needs to get to Royal Core. They do. <laughs> they really do. And finally, in the wrap up, Chinese Custom seems sees six thousand XFX graphics cards. $3 million. Did you see this? This broke today as mm -hmm. we're recording. I guess it's common practice. I don't know how common practice, but somewhat common practice to mislabel your cards too, so they don't have to pay uh, customs. Yeah. 
And China's not yeah. happy yeah. about that. So, yeah, I don't know if there's much to add there. You know, I've seen that before, too. Mm. Like, I bought an Intel engineering sample off of eBay for our build we were doing, if you remember, from our, for our cousin. And actually, at the time, my previous job, I was on a business trip in Germany. And out of nowhere, they messaged me. They're like, it's shipped from Japan. Make sure you don't say it's a processor if customs calls you. Okay. And they said it after I bought it. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, that's pretty cool, I guess, man. And I did actually get it. No, the call in Germany was, I think I couldn't get it to work and I shipped it back to them because it also seemed like they sent me a defective product, which I want to be clear. I've gotten engineering samples before all the time from people that were reliable. And our friend Brock that we bring up all the time, uh, he still has a 10 core Broadwell E system that he got for 240 mm. $240, 10 cores in 2016. It's, it's still running strong. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember having to call paypal or ebay from germany in between meetings it was a lot of fun a lot of fun especially when i was jet lagged and falling asleep i was also sick too it's not a good time not a good time to not appreciate that so stop lying about your stuff and customs guys all right let's get then now to the final reader mails Tadasuki writes in and he says, from my recent calculations, when you count in inflation, graphics cards in recent years, even before the shortages provided only over inflation, a seven to eight percent year over year improvement in normal gaming performance at a constant price of two hundred dollars. This is an order of magnitude lower improvement than we were used to seeing during the first decade of this century. My question is, when do we collectively say it's not acceptable anymore when improvements decline to three to four percent? at the same price point per year or win too few people are talking about this. In my opinion, there's too much talk about high end products instead of the average people's products. So my answer to this is $200 is a sticking point. 2016 also is the fact that you started at 2016 and chose $200 is kind of cherry picking how bad it is. Not to say that prices aren't going up or that it's good. I'm just saying you did cherry pick, kind of how bad it is if you were to cherry pick the performance you get for a thousand dollars oh it's gone up a lot since 2016 and i think we just need to accept that the low end is kind of dying yeah i mean and then uh, i think he would say that like he's also accounting for inflation but i would need to see how you account for inflation sure there's pro if you account for inflation there's probably oh a better than yeah, that. Yeah, so I don't know. It, 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 it's choosing the low end price point because, yeah, the low end price point, like you said, is kind of dying, which I think has been a big line in our channel for a while, in the channel for a while now, or in the market in general. Yeah, and, it, and like, and you can just point that out with the 6500 XT. If you have PCIe 4.0, it performs around a 590. If you don't go over the VRAM usage, if you don't, or there's some things that go wrong, it's typically closer to like a 570 or something. Yeah, it's $200. Same price about a 570 from 20, well, I guess from 2017 or something. But at the same time, $200 was more back then. So you could argue it's actually gotten a little cheaper, even if it's not even at MSRP right now, though I guess it was on day one. We don't need to get back into that. But you know, if you adjust for inflation, I bet it's, you know, I don't know, it's still there. Yeah, the $200 price point just isn't great, but I think it's one of those things that people are always going to want to exist. And as far as us just saying it's not acceptable anymore, I mean, I don't know what power we have to control it, you know? 
A- absolutely. And I think another point I would bring up to this question is I do think that mid-range gamers just aren't asking for as much more. And this might, uh, don't get mad, hear me out here. I'm just saying, if you're gaming in 1080p or even 1440p, plenty of sub $400 cards are still doing fine at 60 frames a second for sure. And a lot of those people that were always saving money also are probably more willing to turn down settings, whereas Mm -hmm. the people willing to spend more will pay for that extra 50%. And so they're bringing you stronger stuff at $1,000 every year. It's just at $200, I think, you know, people aren't willing to upgrade as often unless it is a lot better. And if that's true, why would AMD focus on that market? Yeah, <laughs> there's just no, well, and at the same point, it's just that market, that price point seems to be getting the cost of everything in the world are just making that a prohibitive price point that can't really exist anymore. I think, yeah, we need to accept the new low end is going to be 300 to 400. The new mid range is about 500 to 700. And the new high ends, 800 and up. And I'm not happy about that. But in terms of like, what can we do? When are we not going to take it anymore? Ah, if you look at the 6500 XT, whether I think that thing got a fair shake out or not, people are mad about it. And I think that card will drip below $200 in a couple months, like I said it would, because people will not pay more than 200 than that. Mm-hmm. So I think people are making their themselves heard here. Yeah, they are. Um, Low-res low gamer writes in, I feel like there's a growing conflict in pricing versus performance caused by competition forcing manufacturers onto new process nodes before said manufacturer can capitalize fully on recovering costs on an established node. If they constantly have to move to new process nodes to compete on performance and efficiency, they end up paying TSMC the highest rates for silicon. My personal prediction is that unless some upcoming fabs are scrapped, we're likely to see a semiconductor price crash in 2023 through 2024 as demand mitigates supply goes up drastically if an rtx 4070 for example goes for 600 or a 7700 xt goes for four five forty forty and both perform like a 3090 any price and inflation calculation change drastically tom what are your thoughts and predictions on where the advanced known semiconductor market will be in 2024 there's a supply and demand the new fabs start coming online well i feel pretty good at this point about my conversation with daniel netty like mid last year where i said hey i'm saying i think Things are going to start getting better by the end of quarter two. Hey, what's going on with pricing? Yeah. Going down pretty quickly. Are things going to be back to normal? No, not probably till the end of the year. And I don't really expect a crash until 2023, but I do. I expect some crash in the low end next year. But I think we need to point out that I think it's going to be a crash for specific types of products because just to make your servers competitive, military servers that need the latest to keep up, They're going to be buying the best stuff on the best note every year for the foreseeable future, I think. But I do think that is going to migrate down to the low end and mid range, having some price crashes, though. Just not right away. But next year, I think so. At a certain point, there's back to that last question. Like it gets to a question of if people just stop buying a lot of these products because it's just not worth it. And if, you know, a product sitting on a shelf is burning money in someone's wallet, so the price will have to decrease. And I, and I think you're going to see cutting edge stuff for servers, for compute, for, I mean, you should see the crap AMD's working on for compute right now. It's, you've seen it, Dan. It's insane. Mm-hmm. I, it's, but that's not being sold. What, what the thing I'm referencing to Dan for <laughs> any price a gamer could afford. So 
like I, I would suspect there will always be a new top die on the latest node so they can sell that for professional customers and the richest gamers. But I think more and more you're going to see the mid-range come out on a node behind. And, uh, oh, Navi 33, it's already yeah, happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's... It's just not worth it. It's just not, you know. Um, the Forbidden Juice writes in, he says, Hello, Tom and Dan slash guest. It is Dan. I've been wondering whether or not you think AMD has built up a sufficient war chest. Like you used to say, back a year or so, you'd mentioned whether AMD seemed to be milking or pricing things a certain way. The theory presented that AMD needs a war chest for when Intel strikes back. Intel certainly seems back, and AMD looks to have some decent stuff in the current pipeline. But the war looks to be a long, drawn-out uh, predicament right now. Did AMD get what they needed, do you think, to maintain the competitive levels beyond Zen 6? For the foreseeable future, for sure. And I think AMD's market cap's worth more than Intel now, somehow. I don't know if that's justified, actually. I guess we'll see. You know, if Alchemist is a complete disaster and Raptor Lake fails and Meteor Lake fails, then I guess AMD should have the same market cap then. But you're still basically betting on the future here. Uh, if you say that, AMD should be worth as much as Intel. Not financial advice, I have to state it. But, um, yeah, I does AMD have a big enough war chest... I don't know. It seems like they're doing fine so far. And I think that they are uh, they enough. Not as much as maybe they would have wanted. Like, I think they wanted to beat Alder Lake more mm -hmm. easily with Zen 3 or something. Or And I, I think Raptor Lake's worrying them because they might not even take the crown back with Zen 4 potentially. Although they could. But they thought they'd take it back by much more, I think. I, I don't know. I think they wish they had one more year. But it's enough. Yeah, one, uh, one more year, AMD probably would be crazy yeah, rich. and would have enough to remain competitive for a long time. But uh, to an extent, it's just like AMD has finally gotten its head above water again. And then Alder Lake comes out and beats <laughs> and uh, beats AMD's and beats M3 for the most part. And AMD is a smaller company than Intel, and they have two and they are focusing on two divisions. And I know AMD is also fabulous, but I, I, I think Intel is going to be giving them a run for their money now for the foreseeable future. And being ahead of them for longer probably would have, you know, made the a run for their money. Sometimes yeah. you, I think AMD is still going to take the crown every now. And yeah, then. I do too. It's just they. I think they would have completely established dominance for a while if they had if alder lake wasn't as good as it is and if raptor lake yeah. wasn't coming out yeah. so quickly and the meteor lake after that which again more stuff coming out today from other leakers saying yeah like what i'm reporting about meteor lake truly coming like maybe like nine months or something after after lake and coming to desktop yeah like intel's on a warpath here guys <laughs> but having said that there's an important distinction here when amd took the crown I mean, with what the five eight seventy, the seven nine seventy, um, plenty of other chips in the past. They only kept it for a little bit, and the margins weren't better than their competition. AMD's margins aren't worse, but they're aren't uh, aren't like better necessarily, but they're good. They've gotten into a position where Zen's making lots of money, where RDNA is making lots of money, where they're getting more server contracts that act as like that kind of sustainable trickle of r&d mm -hmm. funds this isn't like before where it's like oh they took the performance crown in gaming but nvidia still has all of the data center market and amd's lost server 
they have the constant funds now to be sustainable to where I'm not worried about the, their head going below water because they're making big profits on everything that is going to stay for a long time. So, yes, they've taken the crown before, but not only have they built up a, sm- a decent war chest now, but they're going to keep making big profits. So I'm not worried about them falling mm-hmm. behind, at least not for a few years. 2H Freddy writes in, and he says, what do you think of the possibility of a 16-core Zen 4 laptop APU? Until it's driving forward in the high-power laptop division with Alder Lake and with more E-cores on Raptor Lake, I'd expect to see some pretty good multi-core performance from them. Does anybody need to try to keep up with them in the 65-watt plus power class, or should they keep sticking it out with single CCX 8-core designs that target 35 watts? Uh, I've heard about, the, or, or I don't think I leaked this, but I know other people are talking about something called like Raphael H. Mm. So that's analogous to the 16 core. What did, what did, what did I, I linked it first is like Alder Lake HX, you know, like literally trying to minimize the package size of desktop Alder Lake to fit in a laptop at 65 watts or higher. It seems like AMD is doing the same thing with Zen 4 Raphael with 16 cores. So whether they need to, I think they should. And it seems like they're going to. And as far as we know, Raphael has like a four compute unit. APU, I mean, GPU built in, meant to be paired with a dedicated card, but it is an APU technically. So I think the answer is yes, they're doing it exactly like Intel. Well, is. yeah, and if um, they're fine seating the full like desktop replacements, they could just keep going for the eight core, but they kind of have to go for the uh, 16 core at some point if they don't want to fall completely. Well, they've already fallen behind Intel and laptops uh, as of. A couple weeks and ago. And overall performance. Yeah, like they, they, something needs to come out by them that has 16 cores next gen if they want to be put in high-end laptops. Or ultra-high-end laptops. Because like, 8 cores is still pretty good. Yeah. Well, and, I, and again, I don't know if they're going to make some separate APU that's entirely its own SOC, separate from Raphael and Phoenix. Phoenix being their main APU died, I believe, at the end of this year? Yeah. Um, but it's not that hard for them to take Raphael and make it a more compact, you know, SOC for a laptop. Just like it's, it's not hard for Intel to make their Alder Lake desktop chip a more compact version meant for laptop. They're just using like a different, you know, SOC packaging. So I don't think it's hard for them to do it either. They might as well Mm -hmm. do it. That's my point. Um, Root Knight writes in. Do you think Valve is about to dip their toes into being a full-on sustained console maker? For example, following the Steam Deck with some cheaper home console version with no screen and controller built in and maybe bringing back a new controller to the store? Or do you believe Valve will stick to the Steam Deck and leave that kind of expansion to other manufacturers? Uh, they already played around with like the Steam Box stuff. I-, I think this is it. I think there will be a Steam Deck too, for sure. But I don't see a home console yet. Although... It is worth pointing out that a micro console is in the cards. Like you don't know that they couldn't take a Rembrandt and just overclock it like crazy, run Proton on it. Maybe. Well, it, my feeling with uh, Valve is always that they seem to be a way more. Uh, I don't know what term to use? They seem to be a, a really unpredictable company be just because of the way the company itself is ran it doesn't have high, a hierarchy or anything so i don't think there's as clear of a direction that they ever are going in so the steam deck might just be a weird one-off thing that they never follow up on because be. that's a thing valve kind of just does like they make tons of money off of steam and then they do their weird experiments <laughs> but yeah it, and 
And then they go back to making hats. Yes. Well, hats are the ultimate experiment, Tom. Because, like, to me, it feels like everything Valve has done since Steam came out, it feels like an experiment they're trying. Like, oh, well, we can... Which, to an extent, I guess that's always kind of what they've been. Like, uh, Half-Life 2, although it's a classic, Half-Life 2 is, like, meant to show off physics and games and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and it just turned out insanely well because they don't make bad stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, that's not to say that they typically make bad stuff either. Usually what they make is really high quality. It's just they're a kind of weird company in that way where it's like... I. Yeah. I, I guess they make have a handheld. I don't know if that means they're going to go more into consoles or if this is just like something like one we team at Valve cooked up because they don't have hierarchies there. Yeah, and so could I see them trying some sort of Steambox APU thing that's a home console? Yeah, we see them try all types of weird things, but there was an opportunistic aspect of the Steam Deck where they were like, oh, Van Gogh exists. Oh, we can make a gaming handheld that isn't a $1,000 Kickstarter thing that just uses Intel graphics. We can capitalize on this. We have the money to do mm-hmm. it. And they did it. And also, this is a Trojan horse to get better Linux support, which is a brilliant idea. I hope it succeeds. But I don't know about it. Uh, I think a follow-up will for sure happen if they can't keep it in stock all year. I just don't know besides, I think that's what it would probably take though. And I think any home console, you have to wonder what they're even trying to accomplish. Cause it's like, yeah, if you really push Rembrandt to like 2.6 gigahertz, give it a lot of Ram and like a 100 watt TDP and a little box, you'd probably make a home gaming box for like 250 bucks. That might be cool. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not going to be stronger than a series S guys. So it's competing with a, sub $300 sometimes on sales. Well, yeah, and then it also needs to just be pointed out with Valve that at the end of the day, they're just, they're they're a really small company compared to all these, the console Mm -hmm. makers. So I don't know. This isn't to say anything about like the talent of the people at Valve. It's just, I don't know if they have the manpower to sustain becoming a Mm -hmm. console maker. Right. I think they've already bit off plenty <laughs> yeah. to chew for the size of their company, keep in mind, is what Valve we would has say. 360 members. Yeah. Employees. employees. Valve's not big. I think Sony has like, what, 100,000, 70, 100,000? Sony, it's hard to say, though, because Sony is such a massive. That's true. They do all types of bizarre crap. Um, but, and you know, Microsoft, I think, is like 50, 60,000. So. These are just entirely different companies, and I think that what they should focus on is making sure, because you watch some reviews that just came out. Linus has done a few, actually, being pretty critical of it. By the way, more critical than me and Dan ever were. Call us haters. And there, the Steam Deck needs mm-hmm. updates. There's some driver things going on, some things they need to work on. They need to make sure the Steam Deck is as successful as possible, make sure it stays pricing competitive with everything else launching around it, if early 2023 the Switch 2 comes out, like I th- like we all seem to believe it will, then I think they need to make sure that it can have price drops and be competitive with that by the time the Switch 2 comes out and then follow up with a Steam Deck 2 probably 2024 or something. Like that's what they should work on, just this. I, I think a home console will only happen if they see a crazy easy opening or they can make like a $150 mm-hmm. device that hits some minimum level of performance and they're like, heck, it will use this rejected APU they never use. But until then, I think it's just the yeah. Steam Deck. 
And I do think they will keep supporting it a lot. I don't think this is a Steam OS ish <laughs> situation. <laughs> or and, and by that I specifically mean those ridiculous Steam boxes that they made like five. Yeah, of. I know. <laughs> it, um, it seems to be a more dedicated push than that, certainly. Yeah. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for this episode, a rather girthy one, but my God, the amount of news we have coming out right now, and we'll keep coming out. I mean, we said last year, next year is going to be crazy. It feels like it, and it's only just started, you know, Uh, but uh, otherwise, I guess I will just say, remember to subscribe to the Moore's Law is Dead YouTube channel, ring the bell button, subscribe to us on podcast apps, give us a review, tell your friends about us. If you have like two or four dollars a month, support us on Patreon, you'll get... Uh, at the proper tiers, you'll get this episode early and ad-free. You'll get uh, excellent episodes like Die Shrink, the ability to ask us questions, which we're going to have a guest on to talk about, FSR 2.0 versus DLSS, uh, Lovelace, so you'll be able to ask him questions and talk with us on the Discord about it. Um, but um, I don't know, Dan. Any other last words? No, I don't think so. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan. Audio editing by Gerard Cortez and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Anthony Greffa, Dale Russell, Jeremy Scallon, Lopole35, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lennon Jim, Ivan K., Tom Bailey, 
Mohamed Alkwari, Eric Osborne, Jeff Sedler, Andre Jacques, Dark Castro, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jeskowiak, Josh Law, Brandon, Travis Gooding, Mechanical Philosopher, Gaiman Since Reagan, Fatboy Deesaru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Rintaro Matsukata, John Jamison, Sam Vensel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrants, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, 3DS Boy 08, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sandy, Garrido Saunderson, Joaquin Hagen, Jake Autumn, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Delmaine Peterson, Z Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Ecker, Hexa Puma, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Alenia, Nana, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dane Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Brett Summers, Blake, Donovan Russell, Noah Nicoella, Zlicky, Matt Porsegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick JS, Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy Show, Michelle Pell, Savanos, Eddie Del Castillo, Jacob Blackester, Jacob Blaster, Luis Correa, Deke, Chris B. Erbakken, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Lanner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Chrysantine, Mai Sharona, Y. Troy, Roman, William W. Draper, Eras, Phantom G. Spamton, Henry Shang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Mead and Port, Jimmy NG, Mads, Matthew Lazier, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV Couteau, Aaron John Wasink, Mohammed, Sean DeBont, Paul Smita, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Deward, Stephen Jang, JSMMH, Georgie Kostadinov, PCBs22, Reginald Ari, Narithiel, Ivan, Charles Russell, Hal Buma, Akarsh Edietha, The Grid, Andrew S., Chris Rich, Powell, Zagertowski, Desit, Zabit03, and thank you to Sahara for the music.